I want to read a passage to you. It's out of Psalm 19, verse 1. And it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon is simply some thoughts on science and Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks and praise to you uh, for this time that we have to gather as a church. We ask and pray that you use this message which you've given me to declare for good in the hearts and minds of all those listening. Lord, we pray that we would do right by you with our lives in the earth, with the days you've given us in our personal lives, in our homes, amongst our families, and in the marketplace. Oh, God, may we do right by you, we pray, and live our lives to the glory of your name. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start out by talking about what made me think about doing a little message about science. And I, I read a lot from my sermons when I was younger. I, you know, just, yeah, had five words on a piece of paper and this was so sharp, I could blow right through everything. And when I hit about 45, it all changed. <laughs> you know, I'm almost 60 now, so better to write. And I try to inflect my voice and make it, yeah, you know, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was just read, <laughs> you know, by Jonathan Edwards, and it caused no small stir. So um, anyways, what made me think about doing this thing on science was a few weeks ago, Claire and I went out to Madison where they held this hearing for a rule change so that there could be more mandatory vaccinations required for government school children. So, of course, we're opposed to that. And so we went out there, and when we watched the hearing, what was astounding to me is, as you watched it, both sides vehemently pointed to science for why you should either be for these mandatory vaccinations or you should be opposed to them. There was no public input at this hearing. It was six Republicans and four Democrats on this 10-person committee who get to decide the fate of all the Wisconsinites regarding this health matter, which is insane of itself and is another sermon. But what was amazing to me is that both sides pointed to science for their position. So the two positions are stark contrast to each other, and yet both vehemently pointing to science to affirm that their position is right, both pointing to science, and yet the science they quoted either came from different sources whose science contradicted each other, or the same science, but the scientists interpreted differently. <laughs> That's, And so you're sitting there and you're like left thinking while watching the hearing, whose science do you believe? One Realize that science is not just bare facts that everyone should see and all agree upon. That was clear as you were sitting there. You were left thinking everyone is pointing to science, but whose science is right? And you know what this made me think of? It made me think of the Reformation. <laughs> How prior to the Reformation, we had this problem where some people were quoting this bishop, other people were quoting that bishop. There were all these contradictions, all these different views. And so the reformers decided, hey, here's a novel idea. Let's make the word of God the ultimate authority 
and let's try to rein in some of this insanity with everybody quoting their bishop. And it did have a good effect. It had an effect in that we were able to see numerous dopey issues and thinking no longer part of all the debate in the world of Christian theology. It couldn't cure everything because of the fact that you still have the interpretation process. But it did rid Christianity, it did rid Christianity of many vain and futile arguments by making the word of God the ultimate authority. So I was, I thought of this when I'm watching the science, how they're all quoting different scientists. It was so similar to in the prior to the Reformation, how they're all quoting different bishops. So this is what I saw regarding science. You have all these scientists saying different things or interpreting the evidence in different ways, yet they all proclaim the science proves me right. <laughs> and all the people lying behind this scientist or scientific thought or that scientist and scientific thought. I learned this also. I've seen this also in the world of the judiciary years ago. I have an interest in law and the judiciary. My efforts on behalf of the preborn forced me into reading huge volumes of case law and defending myself in court and things like that. And what I saw there was the same thing I saw with theology and I be began to see on that day with science, namely this, that judges all had prior case law to quote, but the case law was all at the mercy of the interpreter. All of these judges had prior case law to quote, but the case law was all at the mercy of the interpreter, at the mercy of the judge. I saw that the judge, that a judge, could find for almost anything being adjudicated before him prior case law to justify his conclusions. That's what I found. And so that's why you have one group of, of um, judges who find one way on that particular topic and another group of judges find another way. And they all have case law to support their position. The only time I never saw them proffer any case law was regarding Obergefell, homosexual marriage. That they tell you made totally out of thin air. <laughs> there was no case law. And the reason for that is, is because there's never been a country in the history of humanity that has ever made homosexual marriage legal, ever, until it was done in Western civilization here over the last 20 years. Never have been done. So they did quote case law on peripheral issues, not germane to homosexual marriage, mind you, because that's what they had to do, right? But there was nothing in case law to affirm their position. They totally made it up out of thin air. You can read it yourself. So in judicial matters, judges find prior case law to justify their conclusions. Usually they've already decided what they believe about something. Then they just search for case law to affirm what they've already decided. And two judges can come to completely different conclusions, both citing case law. That's what science is like. It's what like theology is like. And it's the same here with the judiciary. Whose case law is right? Whose conclusion is right? If you say whatever the Supreme Court decides is right, you're a buffoon because of the fact that the Supreme Court has been wrong and even foisted evil many times in the past. So it isn't right just because the Supreme Court says it is right. 
Even they are wrong <laughs> many times, and even on the side of evil many times. So one was left thinking while watching the hearing, whose science do you believe? One realized that science is not just bare facts that everyone should see and all agree upon. You were left thinking everyone is pointing to science. But whose science is right? You are left thinking that because, I hate to burst your bubble, because sometimes science is wrong. In fact, science has often been wrong on many occasions, down through history, including right up to our very present day. It's amazing how each generation thinks they're so much smarter than the previous one. <laughs> Yet every generation does stupid, awful things, including in the realm of science, things that have bad consequences for many, even millions of lives. Theology can be wrong, just as the judiciary can be wrong, just as science can be wrong. In fact, every known academic discipline and practice can be wrong at times. Okay? Why? Because of the interpreter. Because of the applicator of what was discovered. Because of human nature. It can be wrong. Now, those who embrace and promote science are filled with arrogance. How do I know this? Because I spend much time at the university and with talking to people. And I've met them. And I found it to be so. They ridicule Christianity for being wrong and having done evil and brag about how they have embraced science. As though science is never wrong or has never done anything evil. They claim that science is rational and faith is irrational. An utter absurdity which only the least objective person could proffer. Science has often been irrational. Have you not a taste of it just over the last two months here in America and around the world? How irrational science can be. And faith is full of rational thought and reason. They're not at antithesis with each other, as the one who boasts in their science wants you to believe. Faith is not irrational, nor without reason. In fact, reason is often part of what brings men to faith. This is why the word of God says and commands we are to love him with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind. Reason isn't part of faith. It's important to it. It's not antithesis to reason <laughs> or rational thought. Christianity is a goodness to individuals and to nations. Why? Because of the presuppositions of Christian thought. And I don't have time to go into that this morning, but listen to my sermon at sermonaudio.com entitled Presuppositions, Pagan versus Christian Worldview. Sermonaudio.com, presuppositions, pagan versus Christian worldview. Presuppositions we hold to are massively important to how our worldview is developed. And that's why Christianity is such a goodness and has been such a goodness to the world. In 2005, John Ioannidis, a professor of medicine at Stanford University, published a paper entitled why most published research findings are false. Okay, so this is a professor of medicine, Stanford University, John Ioannidis. Why most published research findings are false. Mathematically showing in his paper that a huge number of published papers 
by scientists and medical professionals are incorrect. He also looked at a number of well-regarded medical research findings and found that of 34 that have been retested, 41% have been contradicted. So out of 34 he looked at, 41% have been contradicted or found to be significantly exaggerated. Since then, researchers in several scientific areas have consistently struggled to reproduce major results of prominent studies by some estimates at least 51% and as much as 89% of published papers are based on studies and experiments showing results that cannot be reproduced. Amazing, right? 51 to 89% cannot be reproduced. Researchers have recreated prominent studies from several scientific fields and come up with wildly different results. You know how many people I have met who denounce God and proudly proclaim, I put my faith in science. They are plethora. Just go to the university, go out on the streets and minister for Christ. I have met so many people who denounce God. Oh, yeah, I believe in science. They are so confident, so sure, so arrogant, and yet they have built their house on sand. Science has been proven wrong again and again. Down through the ages, you can see things they were so sure were scientifically sound that were proven wrong. Whether 2,000 years ago, proven wrong. Whether 200 years ago, proven wrong. Whether two months ago, proven wrong. Okay? Over the centuries, millions have died due to what was perceived as scientifically sound practices at the time. Millions have suffered or been maimed in some way, while countless others have had needless operations or given damaging pharmaceuticals, all in the name of science. I remember when I was a kid, everybody got their tonsils out. It was like they warehoused you and this whole ward, the hospital I went to with my little brother to get our tonsils ripped out. Yeah, what does God know? You don't need those things. Yeah, we're just going to rip them out of everybody. It's some kind of evolutionary leftover part of the body that is not necessary. And they were ripping the tonsils out of everybody. They later learned we shouldn't be ripping the tonsils out of everybody. (laughs) That's just one example. And I could just do a little study. It is horrific what has been done in the name of science and how millions have died and millions have been maimed or injured and millions have been subjected to dopey stuff like getting their tonsils removed down through the ages. Listen to me now. You should always question, okay? You should never just trust the professionals. In the information age we live in, you should do a little study of your own. Is that not true? I always ask people, did you study that out yourself? No, I'm going to study it out myself. This is what I heard. It's like, you know, I see you with this little device, little phone thing, and um, you might want to try using it for something meaningful. You know, like doing a little research, a little study into things that is the information age. Another thing, listen to me now, is you should always get three or four opinions regarding any diagnosis by a doctor. Do your own study and always get three or four opinions if you need to go see a doctor. about Listen to me now. Medical deaths. Just consider that. Medical deaths. A John Hopkins University study from two years ago found that about 250,000 deaths from medical 
air take place in the United States each year? 250,000, right? Some studies put the numbers as high as 440,000. John Hopkins University study says 250,000. And that's just the number of deaths. That ain't counting the maimings, the things that they do to people that people are scarred by the rest of their lives. Notice that medical error is the third leading cause of death in America. Medical error is the third leading cause of death in America. Far surpasses their inflated numbers regarding COVID-19 here in the United States. 250,000 versus 100,000. Inflated is probably more like 40,000. So, yet, even though you see medical error, the number three killer of Americans, 250,000 deaths versus 100,000 deaths, where do you hear any hype about it? Where do you hear any fear fomented? Where do you hear any hysteria created over it? Any tyranny being put into place because of it? On this past Friday, 600 physicians from around America signed onto a letter to President Trump calling for the end of all shutdown orders because they say, quote, the lockdowns are a mass casualty incident. Okay. People have put their faith in science, and it has led to irrational behavior. We have seen the hysteria. We've seen the fear, shutting down of the economy, stay-at-home orders, masking, stay six feet apart. I saw some crazy picture of people vacationing down in Mexico, and they have little ropes set up on the beach, and you have to stay within your six-foot rope while you're on the beach. All this irrational behavior, all completely ludicrous, all done in the name of science. Even after the science has shown COVID-19 not to be the horrible thing they projected it to be, still the irrational behavior by half the population continues. Thankfully, about half the population has a brain, you know, and has has realized, okay, this is not what they made it out to be. Number one, science has often been wrong. Number two, science is manipulated by the interpreters who have shown themselves willing to build cabals. You know, like the global warming cabal, like the evolution cabal. If you don't go along with their thinking, you're pushed out in academic circles. Ben Stein did a great movie on this called Expelled, just reaches the tip of the iceberg. There's so much on that. They have an agenda within academic circles. You have heard the saying, follow the money. Well, this scientific study stuff is one big racket. It's one big racket. There are massive amounts of money attached to research, mostly from your tax dollars. I'm talking billions of dollars is attached to it. And writing papers that get published is part of the racket. The papers that get published have to show positive results proving their hypothesis, so they fudge the facts. They fudge the data regularly. This gets them published. That is a racket in itself also. Thousands of journals exist, and part of the grant money the scientists receive goes toward the publishing cost. 
The scientists have to pay to get their papers published. Is it because, oh, isn't this wonderful thinking? And there isn't like 50 or 100 journals. There's thousands of them. Big deal if you got your paper published is what, is what I'm saying. Once you get your paper published, though, guess what you got? More grant money. <laughs> so it's a racket. It's a money-making racket for scientists and medical professionals. Here's what the Stanford News released back in 2015. They released a news article entitled Stanford Researchers Uncover Patterns in How Scientists Lie About Their Data. Okay? The story went on to report how a couple of researchers, quote, cracked the writing patterns of scientists who attempt to pass along falsified data, unquote. A finding that gave the science world a tool to, quote, identify falsified research before it's published, unquote. And they haven't implemented this, and they haven't figured out how to exactly do it yet, but that's what it was intended to do. Notice falsified data before it was published. The discovery of the pattern is one thing. Listen to me now. The discovery of the pattern is one thing. The fact that the pattern had to be pursued in the first place is entirely another thing. It says, not so subtly, that falsified scientific data is so prevalent that a tool to identify and slow the creep of the false data was actually an in-demand item. <laughs> they needed to, to do this because so much false falsified data is being put forth as scientific, as science, as medical fact. In fact, books have been written about the prevalence of false. In fact, just get on the Internet. There's so many articles. Some of you just be overloaded. So one book's called The Great Betrayal, Fraud and Science. It was written in 2004, exposes about the true state of science and science that's been peer-reviewed, that is self-checked, self-policed. It's 480 pages long. And in a terse assessment of his findings, the author Horace Freeland Judson writes, quote, their claims about science are unscientific, unquote. He was actually speaking when he used that quote, when he, when he wrote that. He was speaking of people like Gregor Mendel. Charles Darwin, Louis Pasteur, Sigmund Freud. That's who he was referring to. He's not just talking about all the people who are doing it like crazy in the world of science and medicine in our day. They fudged data in order to reach the conclusion they wanted to come to before they began. So science has often been wrong on many occasions down through history, including right up to our present day. In fact, sometimes science is even used for evil. Theology can be wrong and used for evil. The judiciary can be wrong and used for evil. And yes, science can be wrong and used for evil. In fact, any practice or academic discipline can be used for wrong or evil, can be wrong or be used for evil. Why? Because of the interpreter and because of the nature of man. Understand? Those who spurn Christianity and boast in their science like to proffer this question. Here's the question they like to proffer. Which has killed more people, the inventions of science or religious dogma? Which has killed more people, the inventions of science or religious dogma? You know what the answer is? Science, by far. <laughs> 
<laughs> so just do a little research. Science has killed more people and done more evil, has been used in evil ways than religion ever has been. Yet what they learn at the university is science is great and Christianity is evil. Why is it that every university student knows about the Salem witchcraft trials, which you should listen to my sermon on the Salem witchcraft trials because much of what's said about them is absolutely false at the universities. And um, But why is it that they all know about that little obscure fact hundreds and hundreds of years ago here in America, but none of them seem to know anything about what happened in Waco, Texas just 30 years ago? <laughs> you know, that's by design in the from the university professors. They want you to think secularism is wonderful. Christianity is evil. That's what they want you to believe. So the answer is science by far has killed far more people than religious dogma. Science by far, yet atheists don't like to admit it. They will go on some long discussion about how it isn't science itself, but people misusing science. But then when you point out that religious extremists do the same thing, only they use religion as a tool for evil, while the religion itself doesn't promote evil, then they disagree with you. Reason just can't win with them, can it? <laughs> just can't win. That's what I've learned. Now, I want to end with this. Here's what I want to end with about my little thoughts on science and Christianity. And it is this. The virtue of love separated from the ethic of Holy Scripture can be used to justify anything. The virtue of love separated from the ethic of Holy Scripture can be used to justify anything. It's used to justify the perversion of homosexual acts. What is wrong with two men loving one another? Quote, unquote. And in this situation regarding COVID-19, the ethic of love separated from the ethic of Holy Scripture has been employed to justify their dopey actions of quarantining the whole of society rather than the sick, of wearing masks, social distancing, and their host of other nonsensical acts. If you don't do all these things, you don't love the elderly, quote unquote. My point again is the virtue of love separated from the ethic of Holy Scripture can be used to justify anything. Some of the same people who taught the nation to think and speak this way if you don't do all these things, you don't love the elderly, are the very same people who placed or watched silently while it was done, those infected with COVID-19 into nursing homes. They're the same people who tell everyone, you cannot see your elderly loved ones because you might infect them. Meanwhile, the elderly are dying of loneliness. I have read of and talked with nursing, nursing home personnel who have stated this, that the people are declining much more rapidly because if they don't have that interaction, that human interaction with loved ones. God made us to need that. So that's love. What these people are proffering is love. It's not love. And of course, this love is all done in the name of science. So we ask ourselves this. We must ask ourselves this. Is science evil? Is science evil? 
Because that's what we're accused of, of course. You're a Christian. You think science is evil. Here's what I respond by saying. Just as they accuse Christianity of being evil because some men have used or employed it wrongly, we must accuse them of science being evil. But is it? It is not. Science is not evil. Just as Christianity is not evil. Either can be employed for one's own selfish ends or evil designs. Either can be abused by the interpreters or the applicators because of the nature of man. Science and Christianity are not evil in themselves. It's how men use them that can be evil. Now, I'm not greatly interested in science other than political science. <laughs> okay, I'm not like a love political science. You thought you want to sit up with me over here on my patio or out here on my deck. I'll sit there and talk with you about matters of religion and politics all day long. You know, the two things you're not supposed to talk about in America, <laughs> religion and politics. They're actually the only two things I care to really talk about. I mean, I'll talk to you about how's your family doing, <laughs> tell you about how my business. But the things that I just crave and really love talking about and get deep into religion and, and politics, okay? And the reason I don't want you to talk about those things is because they want you to have a, like a Roman circus level mentality, you know, where you're just like, woohoo, going through life, you know, with your dopey little little world. And you never, these two matters are of huge importance, religion and politics. You should want to talk about them. If you don't, there's something odd about you. So anyway, that rant's over with. The only real interest I have in science has been discovering those intricacies of God's creation. I do really enjoy that. Like if I was going to be any scientist, I'd probably be a biologist, right? Because I find those things interesting. You know, like ants, a little dopey ants, you know. Have you ever just sat and watched them? They are incredible. You know, there's ants down South America that can actually come to a river together, an army of ants, and they actually create a ball on the side of the of the bank of the river, and they roll themselves into the river, and they roll the ball so that some ants get air, and then other ants are underneath the water, and they come back up for air, and they roll right to the other side of the river. If that doesn't astound you, and if that doesn't point to the fact that there's a creator, you're just messed up, you know? So anyway... As Christians, we are not opposed to science. In fact, many great scientists were slash are Christians. Many great scientists. They looked at studying the creation and doing science as a means of glorifying God. They did not see it at all as being opposed to faith or to reason or being irrational, as though faith in science or Christianity and science are opposed to one another. How many of you remember Robert Boyle? Great scientists from the 17th century. Isaac Newton, great scientists from the 17th and 18th centuries. Blaise Pascal, 17th century. Michael Faraday, 19th century. Bernard Ryman, 19th century. Arthur Compton, 20th century. Charles Towns just died five years ago. You look at it, there's so many Christian men who've contributed so many astounding facts to science. Over the centuries, the Christian is not opposed to science. That is a false dichotomy and a straw man 
that the wicked have made up to justify their rebellion against God and feel good about their science, how rational it is and how irrational you are for believing in Jesus and Christianity. The Christian is at least partly interested in science in order to bring glory to God, if not being his full basis in pursuing science. science. And we know that from these great men's writings themselves, how much it mattered to them to bring glory to God in their scientific endeavors. What he discovers, what a scientist discovers, he wants to be used to the glory of God, not in purposes opposed to his word. And that's again, goes back to the goodness of Christianity. It gives good presupposition. If men aren't restrained by Christianity, by the thoughts of God, by Christian presupposition, they are capable of immense evil. Look at all the wicked. They like to point to the Inquisition and to the Crusades. Okay? They like to point to that. Okay? Tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, over centuries, over hundreds and hundreds of years. Just the 20th century, which was known as the century of secularism, because everyone's thrown off God at that point, the last century we had. It was the bloodiest ever in the known to the history of the world. Millions upon millions killed in the name of atheistic thought, secular thought. Atheistic China, over 60 million, bare minimum, killed there. Soviet Russia, on down the line, everywhere, atheistic thought raised its ugly head. Christianity, yeah, it's not perfect when you look at the history of Christianity and the nations of men. Why not? Because men are involved. (laughs) Wherever men are involved, anything gets messed up. But you definitely see a restraining influence between nations who place themselves within the world of Christian thinking versus a world of atheistic, materialistic thinking. Huge difference between the two. And that's one of the things that exposes it, just the death toll. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, the scriptures command us to do all to the glory of God. I encourage you to put him first in all things. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time that we've had to talk about science and Christianity. And though these thoughts are minimal and fleeting, I pray that you would use them for good in the hearts and minds of many. That they would have a different view and they've been taught to have by this culture, by the schools, by academia at large, Lord, by the media in this country and both news and entertainment. Lord, may men see their need for Christ and may men see the goodness that Christianity brings to men's lives and the goodness brings to nations. Lord, I thank and praise you that you have redeemed us, those of us who know you through your son, Jesus. And I pray that in the days ahead, we would lead others to know you, that we would point men to you, making the whole counsel of your law and word known to the magistrates of the governments of the world and to the peoples of this earth. And I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
So may Christ be praised. Thank you so much. God bless you.